Hello Sunderland fans, James Copley here. I am joined today by Graham Falk. Graham, we're going to be doing something a little bit different today, a little bit of a joint endeavour. Please tell us who you are and what you're about and what your podcast is. Um, for those who don't know, which is probably loads of people, um, and they're doing the right thing by not listening, it's um, I, I post obviously What The Fork podcast. Uh, we do something, previews, reviews, reactions. Uh, I also work as a journalist, but not when it comes to Sunderland, because I'm not very good at it. Um, and I'm far too opinionated and passionate. But uh, no, James, yeah, that's that's what I do. If you listen to it, brilliant. Thanks very much. If you don't, congratulations, you made the right decision. Happy days. A little bit of cross-promotion. <clears throat> we love it. We love it. We were both at Hull City on Boxing Day, Graham. Uh, you were able to be in that superb away end and, and probably mm -hmm. have a couple of pints. I had to work, which is a privilege. It's very good, very fun. I had a whale of a time, but I was a little bit jealous when I saw the photos and the videos rolling in this morning. It looked like a good one. Yeah, it was great. I mean, I posted a photo this morning, which is obviously on the, the Sunland Echo article of the photos of the fans yesterday. I, I got my mush snapped, which is always <laughs> nice. Um, but look, we both know what it's like in the press box. I know a lot of people won't know what it's like, and it's always a privilege. It's always an absolute pleasure. But I think when you're a fan of a club, I can understand a little bit why you were jealous of not being in that away end yesterday, because... I'm sure we'll get onto it, but when Jack Clark bagged that goal late on, um, it, it took off. Uh, Sunderland away ends are always good, but that was right up there with the best. I think those who go every single away game will attest that Burnley away, I think, last year was really, really good on the Friday night. That was a really good night, despite the fact that we didn't score any goals and they didn't score any either. Um, but last night was sort of right up there, I think, because, and again, I'm sure we'll get into it, but... Um, Saturday was virgin on toxic, and I think that was a collective mm -hmm. agreement from a lot of people. And um, to put in a performance like that from the players, you know, the management team as well, and also the fans to to really get up for yesterday when it would have been quite easy to, to not get up for it, I think is is testament to what a fantastic football club we really are. No, absolutely, and, and let's get into it. Really, you touched upon it there, but. I was at Coventry at the Stadium of Light on Saturday. That was bordering on toxic. Um, one of the most questionable atmospheres I think I've witnessed at the Stadium of Light in a long time. My mind went back to, and the, there will be other examples along the way, but my mind sort of went back to Steve Bruce when he lost at Wigan at the end of his tenure at the Stadium of Light. It was, it was that sort of that sort of feeling. Obviously, there were substitutes being jeered off the pitch. Apparently, there was a smatter and a booze for for Beale when he was. Um, when he was announced over the PA at the beginning of the game. I didn't hear that personally, but having spoken to people, apparently it definitely did happen. Um, then it doesn't help you get smashed 3-0 by by Coventry. Sutherland and Coventry don't really like each other. Then you had the Tony Mowbray chance. I thought Michael Beale dealt with that really well. Um, he said that Sutherland fans were, were obviously entitled to voice their opinion um, and that he understood the, the sort of love for Tony Mowbray because he's a, a good communicator and a, a popular figure. Um, so I thought he positioned himself well there and handled himself well. But Graham, it is always about the results. And boy, did he need that Jack Clark goal against Hull. Oh, massively, I think. I think if Jack Clark doesn't put that in, we're probably having a very different conversation where we're going, well, Absolutely. that was Plymouth away, that was Stoke away, that was Swansea away, that was every performance the whole season. Because it was. Look, and for a lot of the games, Sunderland lacked a cutting edge. For a lot of yeah, the games. Yeah. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. It didn't feel that much different to every other way game we've played in terms of how we played the possession. I think we played a little bit better defensively. I think we dropped a little deeper. We looked a little bit more solid. You can tell he's had a little bit of work on the the training pitch in terms of making it more solid and, and coming up against the opposition uh, that we did because I think Hollow are a really good side and I think their position proves that. But 
look, if Jack Clark doesn't cut in and bang that in with his his right foot, then we'd have a different conversation. But you know, he did, and I think that kind yeah, of yeah. performance. We're not not used to that kind of performance. It was a perfect no. It had flaws in it, but it had a lot of positives. I think a lot of the performances had a lot of positives. What they haven't had is goals, and I think um, he got one yesterday, which is perfect. But I think he massively needed it. Look, I've been very vocal in my thoughts and opinions on Michael Beale, and the reason for that being, you know, I work up here in Scotland. I work in, you know, I work for the Scotsman. I see what is written about him. There's a lot of people I know that have, have encountered him, and for, for me, he's not the right man. But you want to change my opinion on that? Keep getting one 0 wins away Up from going to win games. games. Yeah. yeah, like there's there's one there's one language in football, and you know people say I don't like how he speaks, and I personally don't like the Lee Johnsonisms that he has. I prefer your Tony Mowbray's and dare I say it, your Alex Neal's, like straight talking sort of football men. But at the end of the day, the best language in football is three points in winning games. And if Michael Beale wins the next three, and then wins that game, that little small game on January the sixth. Um, I'm pretty sure I'll be all about Beale Ball and tell you he's the best communicator on the planet. So very fickle football fans, very fickle. It's it's interesting this this comparison that Michael Beale's had to Lee Johnson, mm-hmm. and I do understand it in a sense that possibly they do speak in a in a broadly similar accent. Perhaps they're both definitely head coaches. I think they both sort of buy into the director of football model. They both like the data and stuff. But in terms of communication, and I, and I don't know whether he's sort of playing this down because he realises, and I haven't watched too many of his interviews at, at QPR or Rangers, but I'm yet to sort of see and hear, I know it's early days, that sort of Lee Johnsonisms that we all got really tired of. Yes, it is early days and we might sort of grow weary of of, of hearing it when it does eventually come out. But it's interesting you mentioned that, Grim, because I, I'm actually yet to hear that from Bill, And I think he's a very different communicator to Tony Mowbray, that's for sure. But mm-hmm. I, I haven't been listening to him in the press conferences and in his opening press conference as well at the Academy I haven't thought like, I haven't thought. Well, to be brutally honest, I haven't thought like oh, he's a bluffer or he's just saying stuff for the for the sake of it. Was that something that came across at Rangers? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, it's interesting. I mean, it was it was less so. I mean, there was no sharks on Monday chat. Like I think yeah, Lee Johnson yeah. <laughs> verges on the bizarre and almost yeah. funny. I mean, for people like me and you, being Sunderland fans is quite unfortunate because otherwise Lee Johnson would have been a journalist dream because he's hilarious. Um, he is genuinely quite funny and I don't think Michael Beale really has that he's more that sort of middle management KPI sort of speak that we're used to in, in you know if you work in a call centre or something that are places well, you know even ourselves and whatnot. Um, and sometimes as a football fan you don't really want to hear that but one mm-hmm. thing I would say about Michael Beale and obviously I spoke to um, Scott from This Is Ibrox which is a really good Rangers podcast one of my really good friends prior to his first game and he offered a lot of reasons as to why you know people didn't really like the way that he spoke always and the contradictions he felt he'd come up with. But he made a really good point at the end, and I'm pretty certain that he's accurate with it. For all the things I want to throw at Michael Beale from his time at Rangers, his time at QBR, my thoughts on his appointment as Sunderland manager, I do kind of feel like he can't have had the experience he had at Rangers. And look, Rangers are so all-encompassing. I mean, Sunderland mm-hmm. are massive. I love Sunderland. Sunderland's my club. There always will be. But up here, Rangers and Celtic is just—I mean, it's well, you crazy. can't lose a game. You can't really lose a game if you're Rangers manager, can you? No, you just can't. And I mean, the seven, that's why the seventy-two percent win record's not even looked at because you can beat <laughs> the teams that are not Celtic. But if you don't beat Celtic, and then if dare I say it, you get beat of Aberdeen as they did, it's a mm-hmm. different thing entirely. But one thing he learned from that—you can't be in a situation like that, which he'll remember for the rest of his life. And he had the three years as assistant, and seen Gerard go through stuff as well. You can't not learn stuff. 
And yeah, what I mean by that is I, I don't mean that he's gone, oh, I can take all the flack. I think he's gone, maybe, maybe I've done things differently. Um, if he's not, then he's definitely the wrong man for Sunderland. But mm-hmm. I think I think he will. And I think in the way that he communicates, I really liked yesterday that he communicated. Um, he could have been at the front fist pumping and doing a Lee Johnsonism. He didn't. He mm-hmm. sat back, mm-hmm. let the players take it. I didn't notice until afterwards. And I was in row one yesterday. I didn't even notice he was there until I watched the video back and I see him hugging Jack Clark, Triantis. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, that's good. Talk put, the best thing he can do is put it on the players when we win. Yeah, and, yeah. That's it's in, re- really interesting you should say that because I had exactly the same thought having sort of watched the videos back. I, I thought I spied it at the time, but I was quite far away at the back of the stand. But after the <laughs> After the couple of weeks he's had, there's been a lot of noise. The Sunderland fans were chanting for Tony Mowbray in his first game. He lost his first game. There's been a boatload of pundit noise from Graham Sooners, Chris Sutton. It's been mad. Simon Jordan's pitched in, all of the ex-Rangers boys. He's took a hammer and he's took some flack. You could have forgiven him for running up and down the touchline, fist pumping and, and you know, crotch chopping or something because oh, he, he's had a... It. He's he's had a he's had a, a serious couple of weeks, but he was very understated, as you mentioned, Graham. Very understated indeed. Um, you know, when the full time whistle goes, he he congratulates his staff, and I think Mike Dodds comes up to him. But I noticed that that he was very mute, and I think that's I think that's probably telling. Yeah, I think massively, and I think he knows he's got a big game on Friday, and mm. um, we talk about results uh, and how important they are. He loses that on Friday, he's back to. It's back to square one. <laughs> yeah, enemy number one, and and oh, we can't win games away from home, and that was papering over cracks at home at the minute. Like he's good. Um, yeah, but I, I liked it. I, I I did like it, and look, I'm not one over. Um, God, please let me be one over because I really want to be. <laughs> um, because all any of us want across the fan base is something to be successful. I don't know anyone who doesn't. Um, but I think it was quite telling because I think for me, we've seen a few managers like over the years where the pressure valve has been kind of released when they've won a game and they've exploded. Mm. Um, even going back to Martin O'Neill on his first game, he's 1-0 down five minutes to go. Oh, Blackburn, what a, what a day that was. That was over. Was great that over day. Christmas time as well, wasn't it? it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a great day. We got we were unbeaten for about three months after that. Seth um, Larson got the, uh, got the winner, yeah. didn't he? That was, that was a fantastic day. That was a bloody cold day. I remember that being really Freezing. cold in the stadium. <laughs> it was a very, very cold day. Um but you, you see it, like you see the, the pressure valves released, I think, with a lot of managers. And I think it's quite telling that Bill's had more pressure than I've ever seen a new Sunder manager get, to be honest with you. 100%. You touched on the the Steve Bruce um, feeling against Wigan. It, to me, it felt like Poyet in the 4-0. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It was part where you, it, it felt like, look, I'll be honest, I, I called some of the players out on Saturday. I don't think they put the effort in for him either on Saturday. Um, mm. I thought Echo was borderline abysmal. Um, and the was, just... I mean, chalk and chalk and cheese, Equa against Coventry City to Equa against Hull City was crazy. I mean, I'm pretty certain he must listen to my podcast because I actually <laughs> slaughtered him after that, and he had a great game yesterday. But I think the big thing, and I said it in the car coming back yesterday to, to Ashley on the way back, I says, Look, I says, today was needed for the football club, I think, because. Yeah, the bond with Michael Beale's not there, and it's going to take a while to get the bond. I think you know three wins in a row. I think it's not that long, but um, it, it'll take a decent run to to get people on board. I think, and 
One thing that has been damaged a little bit recently, and it's took a while to get there, is maybe the relationship the fans have had with the players, which is in the last two and a bit years, or at least the last 18 months, across the board, been excellent. Um, yeah, yeah. We've seen that relationship crack a little bit um, on Saturday. And I think even before we scored yesterday, people were singing that Abdullah Bar song. And I thought that was quite telling because, look, he's had a horrendous couple of days. And. Mm-hmm. It's getting to a point where Abdul has been here for a year now and I'm yet to see any real progression of where he actually plays. But the fans backed him and, and I think what was massive was the players coming over to the end. Like the fans were being like, come closer. Like an Ekwar yeah, given yeah. his is kind of his bowing yeah. down. And that relationship was beginning to crack because look, let's be honest, some of them weren't putting in what we expect. It's mm-hmm. a cliche, but it's it's accurate. They put that in yesterday, they threw their bodies on the line a bit, and we found that bond again with him that was beginning to have cracks and we've we've put glue in it till Friday shall we say absolutely Phil Smith mentioned this um after the game when we were traveling home we'll come on to the the intricacies of the the tactics and stuff but in terms of a Sunderland performance that's all we ever asked for really wasn't it in terms of hard work determination running you know things can go wrong in a game but but they kept it I actually thought you, you know you, you mentioned about the relationship with the players there I thought Jack Clark's celebration was brilliant because he did the cupping of the ears but it wasn't a neutral might look at that and think he's giving it back to the Sunland fans no. but he wasn't it was I want to hear you please get louder like it it was actually a brilliant moment you could see in his face that he was he was absolutely loving it delighted to score I mean, anybody who looks at him and thinks he isn't happy at Sunderland needs the head examining because he he does he does clearly love it. And and I thought that celebration was a was a real good moment, as you mentioned, between between the fans and the players. Oh, absolutely. And I think you know, like um, talking about Clarky, like oh, what a wonderful footballer, by the way. Like I love him. Like the day he does go, I'm gonna be absolutely heartbroken. But he's, um, he's won that he's won that game for Bale. Let's let's oh, sort of not beat around the bush. We oh, weren't 100%. scoring. We weren't scoring, no. and Pritchard had just got up front with three strikers on the bench. So, I, I was I was struggling to see where a goal was coming from. To be honest, it was a moment of individual brilliance, which you know, fair play. That's what Clark's in the team to do. Mm-hmm. No, hundred percent. And I think for me, Clarky, I think, and you see it in his celebration. And people talked an awful lot about the Southampton celebration because it was just after the transfer window, September first. Mm-hmm. Yada yada yada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, Clark, I think Clark just wants to play football. I think if if the club go, we've had a bid accepted for twenty five million. Go, all right, I'll go, I'll go chat them. I think he just likes playing football. I think he's just a young yeah, kid yeah. that's enjoying his football again after a couple of years of you know being in the wilderness at Spurs. Really, a couple of failed loan moves, and he's came to a massive club that absolutely worship him, and people are talking about him like. How can he not be happy? But I think you're talking about um, the goal and stuff like that. And I think the goal was massive and the end was massive. But I don't know if you noticed it, um, but Job was shown off in front of his big brother a little bit. Um, <laughs> but when we were really piling the pressure on, you, you'll have seen it as well, but I don't think a lot of people will have done. Piling the pressure on and you think, oh, God, someone come on, it's 15 minutes ago here, just, just put something in the back of the net. And Job, I think we got like a corner or a throw in like deep in their half. And Job's just like that to the fans. And yeah, like he, yeah. he, 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 loves he loves it. it, he loves it. But he's feeding off the energy of the fans that are basically going, "Please, we're going to will this in." And yeah, yeah. that's a combination of the team playing well, the team responding to the fans, and then the, the team asking for even more to get us over the line. And it did. Um, and ultimately, like that's just what football's about. I mean, in the cold light of day, it felt like we won the World Cup yesterday. We beat Hull. <laughs> um, but like that's what football's about for me, and I think that's what Sunderland's been about for the past eighteen months or two and a bit years. Um, that kind of connection with the players again and, and kind of learning to 
to love the football club. That's been tested in the past few weeks and it'll be tested in the weeks to come. But mm-hmm. it was good to see that it's possible that if things go the right way with Michael Beale in charge and with these players, the, the relationship can continue to be a blossoming, loving one. Well, hopefully. And you say, you know, you say that it's um it's just Hull City, and I know what you mean, but to be fair, they're a they're a decent side this season yeah. under under Liam Rossini. So to win away from home, given our away record this season, I, w- I was massively pleased by just into the tactics in the first half a little bit, Graham. I actually thought what was really pleasing was that and Tri Hume mentioned this after the game, is that Sunderland didn't needlessly press Hull. They were quite happy for them to have the ball. I thought that was quite smart in a way because I think Hull would have played around Sunderland pretty easy. That midfield just needed to sit in front of the defence, especially after having shipped three bad goals against Coventry City with you know 9 and Ballard quite exposed at times uh, in that game. I actually was really pleased with that tactical decision, whether it was Dodds, Beal, whoever it was, whether it was a, a group decision on the field, but they just allowed the game to settle. They didn't go too mad, didn't go too gung-ho. Um, and you talk about the crowd as well. I mean, I, I do it myself when I'm when I'm in the crowd at Sunderland Games. You want them on the front front foot. That You know, that they, they get into them, chants, all of that sort of stuff. You want Sunderland pressing. You want the Lee Barry Catamull, pointless press into the, into the defender with nobody else backing them up. That's what we as Sunderland fans like. But they didn't do that. And I actually thought we benefited from that, especially in the first half. Yeah, absolutely. I think you talk about like wanting players to press and stuff. I think Seb Larson made a career out of that at Sunderland, just pressing really high up the <laughs> yeah. pitch and absolutely knackering himself within like 15 minutes, 20 minutes. He, but... he, he loved a one of them. He loved a one of them. Pointless presses, try and get the crowd up, throw his arms in the air. Nobody followed him. <laughs> just like, look at me. Oh, get, I'm, I'm, I'm doing something. I'm doing something. <laughs> Beautiful, Seb. I didn't even have to do anything. Could have just stood on the pitch and everyone loved him anyway. Um, little did he know. But um, I think when it comes to the, the tactics yesterday, the work good. Um, yeah, the work it, it, it was clever. The lad next to me said, oh, this is how uh, Hull are playing. This is how you know we play at home. And I was like, that's a good thing, though. And some people were going, oh, press it, press it. And I was going, I don't think you need to. like Because I think the fact that, it, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, but Philogene, not being mm. there for Hull was really big because I think he's yeah. their Jack Clark and kind of pulled something out and now and I think they probably do rely on that. I think most teams in the top ten that aren't, you know, the, the Premier League clubs in Ipswich, um struggle uh to to produce stuff without uh, having that one moment of magic or the player that can produce something. Uh, luckily we've got a couple but one that sticks out like a sore thumb. Um it, I think for Hull it's Philogene but they they did try to play around us, but it was it was quite easy to break up. The, maybe the only thing tactically which frustrates me, which I'm sure we're going to get into, is when you do win the ball back. There's no one to really hold it up top because everyone's back. But is that Beale's fault? Look, at the end of the day, three managers have now looked at those strikers and thought they weren't good enough. And I'm not one to judge because I haven't seen them enough. I don't know, but no, they see them every day. And, and look, there's there's months and years to come, and these players can flourish and change. Although I've got my doubts about whether that will happen with Burstow. I think he might end up going back. But, you know, Mayenda, Rusin um, and Hamir have all got time on their side. But I, I do think a performance like yesterday would have been a lot more comfortable with someone who could have, like, released the pressure a little bit sometimes in the first half. But I think for what he's got, he, he did quite well. And for what it's worth, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, say something controversial. So, Tin Hat on. I thought until he got injured, Bradley Dak did all right. He did. He did. He was doing fine. Uh, he wouldn't have been my choice from from the beginning, no. to be to be brutally honest with you. Uh, <laughs> but 
he sort of had a, a half chance on the volley, which was a really tough chance in the first half, which which was spooned over the bar. But I mean, if it, if he'd have, if he'd have rifled that in the top corner, fair play, it was a, a really tough chance. But I did think he was grown into the game. Mm-hmm. What do you make of this striker situation, Graham? Because obviously he decides to go with Dak up front. Job's playing just off him. Job's probably looked better as a striker um, than Dak has, but he decided to go with that. You could argue whether it was working or or whether it wasn't. But obviously Dak then gets the injury towards the end of the first half um, and he he doesn't bring on a striker. He brings on Aushish and in the second half with, with Sunderland needing a goal, and, and probably needing the ball to, to stick, he, he brings on Pritchard. Fair play, Jack Clark then rifles the ball in 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 the uh, the whole city net. I don't necessarily think that was a a product of of Bale substitutions, to be honest. No. And I, I I remember distinctly think thinking to myself, like we need somebody to hold the ball up, and the ball's just coming up to Pritchard, and it's either going over his head, and and it's not a it's not a knock on Alex Pritchard. I think he's been no. brilliant. And I'd be advocating him, him starting had he not been ill these past couple of couple of weeks, but I just thought like throwing him on at that point is a bit of a hide and nothing. I do I do get the experience argument that like we're seeing out the game away at Hull on Boxing Day, you need an experienced player on the pitch, and he, he probably did help in that regard. But for me, it's 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 damning as you mentioned the the three sort of head coaches we, we've had in recent weeks: Mowbray, Mike Dodds, Michael Beale. They're not playing Mayanda Rusin. Burstow, somebody somebody said to me on on social media, how are we supposed to get a striker playing and scoring if we don't play any strikers at all? And it's a bit of a catch twenty two, isn't it? Because they're not ready, but are they going to get ready? Have we seen enough of them to to know that they're not ready? We've probably seen enough of all of them now to know that they're not quite ready. But then, how on earth are they going to get ready? It's it's a bizarre situation, and this is all framed in the context of Michael Beale Sunderland needing to win games, otherwise he's under a lot of pressure. I also think as well, like you look at the model that Sunderland have and it's young players come here, they get experience and they do well. Rusin was actually breaking that model a little bit because he's 25 and we paid a fee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think, look, the, the curse is, and I can't get to a podcast without saying his name anymore for some reason, but Ross Stewart was dynamite for Sunderland. Like, yeah. I, I worship that man. I always will. And I feel hard sorry for him that he's injured. But um, Ross brought a lot. He could hold the ball up. He was a sniffer. He could score from outside the box. He could score in the air. He was good in the air. He brought other players into the game. He could come it was deep. The way, the, the way Ross Stewart stretched defences as well, that's <sighs> something I think we really miss. And I, and I think just Porch's instinct, there was a couple of a couple of times Patrick Roberts, who is yet to register a goal <clears> or an assist, <throat> which is actually probably only half his own fault because he flashed a couple of balls across the six-yard box and there was nobody there attacking the front post. Ross Stewart, Nathan Broadhead would have been there. I mean, Broadhead would have been... I would have had Broadhead here like in a heartbeat last season. But um, it's funny you mentioned Roberts. There was a point, because like I said, I was in row one yesterday and you can see a lot more in row one. It's weird when it's like close <laughs> here. And, and Robert like takes on like 100 players that he always does because he's class. And then he puts the ball in and it's cleared. And he's not angrily gesticulating at the players, but he, he's saying, get in the box. Like, yeah. nonnies are in. And, like, the reason they're not in the box is it's not their game. Mm-hmm. It's not really their game. I think that's why Joe probably looks decent as a striker, because sometimes he can hold the ball up and he can run a channel, which is a Ross Stewartism. Um, yeah, so yeah. he can stretch a bit more than the other ones can. But also, because he's, like, he thinks he's a number 10, 
slash box to box. He does arrive in the box late sometimes, but he arrives in the box more than the other ones do that don't arrive in the box because they're not used to it. Um, and I think we've got an abundance of riches there. I mean, I love Pritch. I think Pritch is great. I think Pritch brings so much to be in my team every week. I think Alshish has got a heck of a lot of talent and will bring a heck of a lot. I'm delighted he's on a five-year contract. Clarky, well, we've talked about Clarky, and I think Roberts is one of the most technically gifted players I've ever seen at the club. But um, And then you had Diallo last season where he was like, um, well, Diallo. Um, but you look at like the strikers we've got, and they're all like parts of a Ross Stewart. They don't actually do all of it. I think Rusin's quite good at stretching the defences and running the channels a bit. I think he's quite good at that, but he can't, he doesn't really seem like a sniffer or a scorer or someone who's going to hold the ball. Burstow looks like he can hold the ball and put these back to goal, but it doesn't look like he's going to score many. He doesn't look like he can run that fast. Hamia just looks like, he I mean, look, it, doesn't he, unfortunately, he's so raw that if I was a cannibal, I'd be ill the next day. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like I would not, I would not be well because he's so raw. And I think my ender as well, like, He's, he's raw as anything. Um, yeah, we we need a striker, and, and yesterday doesn't paper over that crack. We need a centre forward, and we need a centre forward that can hit the ground running. Um, he doesn't need to score thirty goals. I don't think you're going to get a replacement for us, Stewart, because I think it's really hard to find a player that fits the way he did. But I would have been, and I know some people said, oh, I would have never spent that money on him. But I'm led to believe that Ellis Sims was about four million, rising to eight if they get promoted next Y and Z. Very rarely is the, the end fee. Yeah, that's quite that's a fair point. Um hope to have like a detective agency. Thanks, Ian. What what kind of detective agency though? What would we be discovering? Um okay. but even like Simsy, I would have brought in. Um I've never called him Simsy in my life. Um I would have brought the likes of Ellis Sims in because he was just look, Sims lacked something, but he was a bit of a sniffer and he could run a channel. And I think the way Coventry play him is completely different to the way we play him. There's a reason he scored two for them and seven for us. But somebody like that, like just someone that you go, yeah, he knows when that is. He's going to get in the box and just ask a question of the centre half because at the minute we don't ask enough questions of the centre halves. No, absolutely. Um, we've got quite a few comments here uh, on X YouTube and Facebook, so we'll just have a little look through them. On X, somebody says after two games under Bale and the Mags free falling, uh, what do you think the result will be now? I suppose we better talk about that little old game on the, the 6th of January. Uh, I'm looking forward to this, um, you know, less and less as, as the days go on, I think, mm -hmm. uh, especially given the away ticket allocation, the fact that Newcastle United fans are going to be in the Black Cats bar, which is something I cannot get my head around. And for what it's worth, without having read the minutes, which are not yet public knowledge, although the club did answer some of the questions put to them by the Red and White Army, I can't see how giving Newcastle fans the Black Cats bar as anything other than a Sunderland decision. They would have to sign off on that. I don't think the authorities um, come to Sunderland and say... Can you give Newcastle fans the Black Cats bar? I don't think that happens. We've no. never seen that. We've never seen that happen before. So either Newcastle have asked and Sunderland have said yes, or Sunderland have offered. So I, that really baffles me, and, and it's it's not pleasant really that I'm hearing that some Sunderland fans just aren't going to go to the game. They're not going to bother. They're, they're, I've heard that yeah. because they're in, they're in the north stand. They're not going to bother, or because they think 
because they think it's a, a potential tinderbox and an accident waiting to happen and they've got kids. They're just going, nah, not for me. And, and a lot of people have looked at the board and and the outcome of, of this ticket allocation have just gone, do you know what? I'm not interested. And I can understand that. So for me, I was very excited when the draw was made, but that's sort of taken the shine completely off it for me because, I mean, just being realistic here, yes, the FA Cup is, is a leveller. It's a derby match, so that's a leveller. Third round, Newcastle United are a Champions League team. Sunderland are a Championship team, so it was always going to be difficult for for Sunderland to beat Newcastle. But then you're going to have six thousand Newcastle fans in the stadium celebrating the first derby win since 2016, I think. Or, or we haven't beaten them since. Uh, sorry, they haven't beaten us since uh, for a long time. I can't remember the exact. The a exact lot. Day. A lot of things have happened since they last beat us, and the no, fact that you indeed. can't remember it says a lot. <laughs> I know. I think it's a lot earlier than 2016. I think our our nine game unbeaten run started in 2016. I'm getting mixed up. But anyway, my point is that the, the chances are they're going to beat us, but they're going to. They're going to have the opportunity to really rub it in and take the Michael, which, I mean, Christ, they're, they're entitled to do. That's that's the way fandom works. But just can't help feel that this could have all been handled a, a lot a lot differently. And, and, and really, I don't think the result really matters now because of, of what's gone on, which is a crying shame because it should have been a really, really good footballing spectacle. We talked about um, disconnect between players new manager fans that was starting that to be there the biggest disconnect is coming between Kirill and those decision makers um over this and i sit in the southwest corner i'm fine i'm sound yeah but august, august 2011 since the beat us sorry <laughs> lol um yeah <laughs> very long time um look it's a tough game i think if you're looking at the result to answer the question first and foremost um I'll answer this in the most diplomatic way. The, the, the match really matters because it's, in my opinion, the biggest derby in England. But Michael Beale's tenure is not going to be decided on what happens against Newcastle unless he gets absolutely destroyed and he's followed by getting beat at Rotherham and, and we'll get beat yeah. a few games afterwards. Ultimately, Paolo beat Newcastle and it was a disaster. Like, every manager on the sun beat Newcastle. And then a few weeks later, <laughs> like it was... It was poor, apart from maybe Sam Allardyce. Um, so it, it, I don't think it's going to hinge on something's future too much. Would I like to beat them? Well, where does the bear do his business? Um, that, that's my thought process on it. But I think looking back at what you're saying before about the ticket allocation, look, it isn't Newcastle's fault. I'd love to blame everything on them, but like I, I can't. No. Like You're going to take as many as you can get, and I understand all their fans wanting to go because that match means a lot to them. They've got a really good chance of winning in their you know their, their rivals backyard and and I, and I, and I think the thing is get. the thing is the thing is about that Graham as well is that Newcastle as a club have, have represented their fans interests which is fair enough that's what the football club's supposed to do but have Sunderland represented their fans interests especially by no. not con not consulting with the with the red and white army um in the process leading up to it I understand it was a quick turnaround but yeah, Phil Smith, my, my colleague, mentioned that I think there's a lot of bridge, bridges to be built built there now. Huge. I mean, first and foremost, we need to discuss the fact that, like, allegedly, I mean, I don't know, I haven't looked at it, but if you look at the, the Black Cats bar and what Newcastle have been charged, I'm pretty certain that's a higher amount. Like, you could be like, ha-ha, look, he's charging them more. But to me, that strikes as someone who wants the money from it. This is not Club Wembley, Carol. This is Sunderland no, versus Newcastle. It, and it's and that's Sunderland fans' space. That's that's where that's where the Black Cats bar typically is where probably your higher end customers are going to go. Mm -hmm. And, and 100%. you know, 
you want to make some money, you want to keep them happy, really, in the long term. And they're not going to have the opportunity to go in the Black Cats bar. You know, when you look at the game as well, right now, I'm probably going to go a bit too deep here, but people, like living up in Scotland, it's a bit different. I'm outside of that Southern Newcastle bubble. I'm more in the range Celtic bubble, but people say to me, oh, come on, you're just saying, you know, you don't want to be taken over by who Newcastle being taken over by because it's it's them. And I always go back to the what my football club means to me. And do I think a lot of Sunderland fans wouldn't care who they're taking over by? Of course I do. I don't think everyone's different. There'll be a lot of fans that don't care. But for me, the reason I wouldn't want that to happen is because I'm Sunderland through and through. And the reason I'm Sunderland through and through is because I went with my dad when I was a kid. I sat on his shoulders in the four-wheel end or the walker end. And ultimately, it became my community and it became a working-class place where everyone was together and I felt part of something. That's the yeah. basics. I could go deeper, but that's the basics. And I feel like I wouldn't want that community and it's sold to be sold to anyone, yeah. like period. Yeah. So that's why I don't like what's going on up the road. And I mean, I don't really need a reason to not like what's going on up the road. I've been brought up that way. That's just the way I am. However, when you look at what Sunderland are doing and what allegedly security, whoever's made this decision to let Newcastle fans in the Black Cats bar and let them in the season ticket holder seats and give them that amount, that's against the very essence of what is Sunderland. Like, mm. you don't, like, look, rightly or wrongly, look, I know this sounds like I'm a four-year-old and, like, I don't like them, they don't like me, but they don't sit in our seats. That's not yeah. how it's meant to be. It's never how it's meant to be. And I would never expect Newcastle to do it for us. No. And I mean, especially not in the modern day, like the like <laughs> the, the days of taking ends at football grounds are supposed to be over. You'd think so. But like, <laughs> to me, I would have thought, like, and, and you know what, take Newcastle and this decision out of the equation. How come Middlesbrough and Leeds was unsafe to have any more than about 2,000, but Newcastle can have 6,000 and they've been over backwards for them? Like for me, I'd much rather Leeds have 10,000 than 10,000 for Borough. Like, let them have as many as they want for teams. I, mm. I don't care if it's safe, but you can't say one's safe and the other one isn't. And I have to be careful what I say here, but it goes back to, you know, who's in charge of security here that's made that decision and how they've came to that decision. Baffled. Yeah, I would. I will be really interested to, to see the minutes. Obviously, Sunderland referenced that the minutes will become public knowledge at, at some point. Um, so we do have to be careful what we say, and we do have to mm. mention that it is a, a joint decision-making process between Sunderland Newcastle, um, the safety board, which will include uh, fire service, police, ambulance, all of that sort of stuff. So perhaps we're we're laying the, the finger of blame wrongly, and we we don't know all the information yet. But from from the information we have been given, um, I don't think it's unfair to make the assumptions that that we've made. To be honest, I think it's quite. F- Fair, balanced, and accurate. I just don't think it sits right with me. I, you know, I think everyone's doing exactly the same thing. Um, you, you get all the evidence that you have to hand, mm-hmm. and you think, right, X, Y, and Z, and you try and be balanced with it, and you think, right, we've got it. You, a lot of people have gone, you have to give that away. What's the club meant to do? You know, the same as they did for Leeds and Middlesbrough. Say it's not safe because it isn't. Yeah, and um, you know that that fifteen percent allocation rule, although it is important for the FA. Um, it's not the law. You can come in under that because Sunderland have already reduced the allocation for Newcastle at 6,000 anyway. If it was by the letter of the law at 15%, it should be about 8,000. I went to Borough a few years ago in the FA Cup replay when Seth scored. We got like 4,000 and that felt like, whoa, 4,000? Really? Okay, we'll take it. We knew we were entitled to more. And I mean, I know Man United in the League Cup, we got like 9,000 and stuff like that. But um, just for, for me... It doesn't feel right, and if it is safe, 
then please answer me why it wasn't safe for Leeds fans. I mean, they did the whole consultation about moving the away fans and then decided just to do the same thing instead of just putting a net up. I know, like, I know. A, a, couple, a couple of the best away, away support I can remember at the stadium of light, just off the top of my head during my time, um, would be Carlisle in a, must have been a Carabao Cup game. They were absolutely superb. I can't remember off the top of my head how many fans they got, but it felt like a lot. It felt it like... FA Cup, third round. Was, yeah, it felt like six or 7,000. Maybe it mm-hmm. was slightly more, maybe it was slightly less. But they had the whole of that top Premier Concourse. That's right, and yeah. It was administrated safely. The other two that I can think of are FA, FA Cup quarterfinal Everton. And they were housed in the South Stand, and I think they got about 8,000. And they were literally housed from the corner to the corner. There was hardly a, a row of seats between Sunderland and Everton fans. They were absolutely amazing on the night, Everton fans, in terms of in the stadium, outside the stadium. And I know it's slightly different because it's going to be a bubble trip, but it was all hell broke loose. Um, it was crazy. The other other game I can think of is the Celtic game pre-season when we were relegated to the Championship and Celtic brought down about 8,000 fans. Um, again, different situations because it's going to be a bubble trip with Newcastle, but that was absolute chaos in and around um, Sunderland that day. So, yes, I think there are a lot of con- safety concerns. And, and just logistically as well, I think we've mentioned it on the podcast already, you've probably mentioned it on yours, but how on earth are you going to get 80 coaches in and out of Sunderland at the same time without problems? Like, People, you know, this this rivalry is 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 quite the rivalry, and it's quite heated, and you know, most rational people aren't stupid enough to hoy bricks at coaches, but it happens, and people that's you know, people are stupid, and people have that strength of feeling where like, I don't think it's particularly the best thing to happen for Newcastle fans either. Like, we all want this derby no. to to be good, everybody to have a good, safe experience, to have your laugh, you know. To swear at the opposition fans, but that's that's all it is, or what most fans want it to be. But there are some that want to take it further, and I just I just feel like this this game does provide a good good opportunity for mischief. Of course it does. Um, and you've got to bear in mind we haven't played each other for about eight years or something like that. Yeah. Um, so like, <sighs> nothing about it seems right, and I think you, the same applies to Newcastle fans and Sunderland fans. I think you kind of kid us on. Like yeah, you can't, yeah, we yeah. we know when something's not right and something's not up to, to scratch. And look, um, again, got to be careful with what I say here. But the security's never been that brilliant over the past few years with Sunderland. Um, mm. There's been a few incidents where you know people have felt they haven't been treated correctly, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. But this smacks in the face of the soul of what Sunderland Association Football Club is, um, and there's too much evidence to the contrary of allocations being restricted for us just to suddenly go okay like look if Leeds and Middlesbrough bought like 4,000 and got their max capacity and they're gone look we've looked at it it's safe I'd probably have a little bit more understanding of why Newcastle was here I'd still not be happy that fans moved out the seat but I'd be like well there's not much the club can do if that's kind of security have said this and we've done it for other teams and now it, it, look, it would look petty if we reduced it at this point I just think you look at the amount of away fans that have been reduced for other clubs and suddenly Newcastle and for want of a better word, we have rolled out the red carpet um, and said, you know, enjoy yourself. But like, but look, the, this, this is the thing as well, Graham, you, you mentioned there, but so, <clears throat> Newcastle have never had 8,000 8, fans at the stadium of like, it's never happened. It's unprecedented. So no. how can it be, de- how can it be deemed safe? It's like it's it's never happened before. So I mean, they must be confident in the the safety measures, I guess. But 
I, yeah. I mean, as, as unlikely as it is, look, and I'll be honest, like you said before, they're a Champions League team on a bad run of form. They're still a Champions League team with quality across the pitch. We're a Championship team that's playoff hopefuls. So on mm. paper, it should be pretty straightforward for Newcastle. However, if it's not, the one positive you have got is there is 6,000 of them that you can laugh at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is It's true. unlikely as it is. Um, that is true. Well, we are approaching, Graham, 40 minutes on this podcast, so we'll probably wrap it up there. That felt quite cathartic, actually. Please mm. tell us where we can find your podcast and do me a little closing spiel before I do my own. I can do, no problem at all. I would say don't listen to us, you know, first and foremost. You have been warned, but um, it's I would on... say don't listen to Dave Lawrence. That that would be my advice. You you should really say, listen, don't listen to Dave, uh, Dave Lawrence. Um, I almost said listen three times and called him Dave Listen, which is a, a new moniker, I guess. <laughs> but um, it's, uh, where are we again? Oh, yeah. So uh, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, like the place you normally get it. And it's just What The Fuck Podcast. Um, it originally wasn't planned to be around my name and I wanted to change it to something more something desk and people wouldn't let me do it. So it's stuck. <laughs> um, the narcissist that I am. Um and you can follow us at what the Falk pod which is on uh, twitter slash x uh the only thing is if you do follow us bear in mind if you give us a negative comment i will run with it i will have a lot of fun with it and i do enjoy it so um if you do follow us please leave a negative comment so i can enjoy myself well you heard it first please please bat the grave on twitter and social media is what I heard. <laughs> That's what social media is for, isn't it? It is, it is. Well, thank you for listening to this uh, this cross-promotion podcast between the Sunderland Echoes, The Raw, and uh, Grim Folks, What the Folk podcast. You can also find uh, all of the, the Sunderland Echo content all over the internet, and that's uh, that's all far, that's as far as I'll go because it is it's literally everywhere, and I can't really be bothered. I'm full of I'm still a full of Christmas dinner, and I, I can't really be bothered. To, Have to you list, heard of the uh, internet? It's on the internet. Yeah, it's it's somewhere. If you just type in words on a engine somewhere. I'm, if you find I'm a sure laptop, press buttons, you'll find it. Yeah, or maybe one of those, like you know, one of those string string telephones with a cup. String if, can. If you just shout Sunderland Echo down there, I'm, I'm sure like some player ratings or something will, will come up. Excuse eventually. me, it's a Sunderland Echo there. No, mate, you've got the wrong number. <laughs> anyway, we'll leave it there because we are seriously digressing. Graham, I hope you've had a, a fantastic Christmas and all the you best too. to you and your family. All the best to all Sunderland fans the world over and we'll see you on Friday for the game against Rotherham United. Thank you once again for listening.